Welcome to Startup the Science, a podcast by Enam, the Innovation Network for Advanced Materials. Enam brings together companies, researchers, and investors working in the advanced materials space for the purposes of knowledge sharing and collaboration. We do this through our programs, events, and initiatives like the podcast you are listening to. In this podcast, we interview inspirational founders, experts, and investors and get a closer look at what they do. This is your host, Taha Adnan, and let's start up the science. Mimotype is a developer and vendor of bio-inspired performance materials. The bioeconomy is about realigning production methods and supply chains with the vision of an ecologically seamless world economy. Our focus is on a peptide, i.e. a mini-protein that acts as the luminescent agent for the light emission of marine life, a phenomenon known as bioluminescence. We extract the genetic blueprint of said target molecule and then have genetically programmed bacteria produce the substance for us. The material obtained in this way is to be used for OLED displays and adjacent applications. Mimotype will be able to deliver an accelerated lab-to-market timeline for bio-inspired emitter materials, reshaping the OLED market and other target markets in a capital-efficient manner from the bottom up. This podcast was brought to you by Admacom sponsors, Sayes Red Zone, the in-house open lab program from Sayes Getters. If you would like to get in touch, please reach out to the Enam team. Welcome to the start of the science. So glad you could be here today, Claudio. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And let's get straight into it. Um, could you tell us a bit more about your background, the stuff you've worked on so far? Certainly. So I have a background in molecular biology. I did a bachelor and master's degree at the University of Heidelberg in molecular biosciences. Mostly working in evolutionary science using genomics for decoding evolutionary patterns. And it was during my studies that I became interested in the phenomenon of bioluminescence, biological light emission, and generally also the emergence of complex evolutionary trait in a convergent that is independent and repeated manner. I started a PhD but didn't really feel comfortable at a university anymore for various reasons. Um, so I was really drawn to um, starting an entrepreneurial career. And um, nonetheless, um, my time in biology really deeply um, and profoundly shaped my thinking, not only in, ter in terms of the science that I'm interested in, but also just my outlook on life and also my entrepreneurial activities. Yeah. At Mimotype, currently you are working with your brother? That's right, yeah. And how is it to be setting up a company with your brother? Um, and what might it tell you about things you need in a co-founder? Right. Uh, yeah, that's a very important question. Right after I put my PhD on hold, my twin brother and I created a small innovation consultancy in Hamburg. We had a couple of um, projects in the area of um, biomimetics. Nothing big, though, but we did spun out um, our first company out of this activity it was more in the domain of uh, machine learning and the maritime industry since we are both from Hamburg. Um, yeah, so um, he has a background in law and um, of course we are pretty similar since we are twins, but nonetheless um, he has a more, um, let's say, a creative but also business-minded uh, approach to how we uh, do things at um, both um, our first company and Mimotype as well, while I really take care of the nuts and bolts um, of our biotechnology pipeline and um, as far as I'm able also physical prototyping of our OLED devices. So we'll get into our technology in a bit. 
I mean, we are really complementary in many regards. Um, of course, there's um, yeah certain issues where we where we kind of differ. Sometimes it's hard to 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 live together with the old twin brother because we also share the same apartment here in Berlin. But we work together and um, we live together as well. So there's a certain fract uh, friction from time to time, but. We really developed a toolkit to deal with these frictions and just make use of it and turn it into a productive discussion mm -hmm. um, that sometimes from the outside might um, sound a little bit harsh, but in reality it's just about finding the right way of doing things mm -hmm. and finding common ground. And he's taking me out of my science bubble and sometimes I'd uh, stop him when he's going too far in, 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 in speculating. Um, in a yeah, uh, let's say um, somewhat creative way. So um, it's a it's a really um, yeah almost symbiotic way of of working together, and it has brought us quite um, ahead so far in our careers. So um, it's just not imaginable to to do things differently mm -hmm. from here. Okay, thank you for that. Very insightful. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, your experience with prior companies with your brother, mm -hmm. um, you founded and successfully exited uh, 4C. Right. And what was your experience with company exits and what are, is some sort of advice that you could give yeah. to startups? So um, in Fossi, we were minority shareholders, my twin brother and I. We were more like technology managers, um, hiring the programmers that then built the um, deep learning engine. So um, this company was about creating a deep learning engine for market price prediction. Pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah, um, but at some point uh, we felt um, not um, really able to shape the vision of the company in a way um, that we set out to do. And um, this is when we decided to um, sell our share in the company. So um, that was the kind of exit that we had. We, we sold our share. Um, there was a little bit of uh, back and forth with the other shareholders in the company, to put it lightly. Yeah, but we really went through the whole uh, life cycle from creating a company, hiring a team, building a product that um, that worked. Back then it was a software product, now it's a hardware product. Yeah, also the, 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 the human dynamics that come uh, into play um, once you have senior staff with um, more junior staff, um, different cultures even um, clashing. Um, yeah, so it was uh, really stressful at, uh, at certain moments, but um, again, I wouldn't miss this experience because it, um, it brought me to the point uh, where I am now. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think that I, I would have been able to create my own company from scratch, MimoType, if I hadn't done the, the prior experience mm -hmm. um, with, um, with our first startup. So moving on to some of the research that you've done, um, you've worked on convergent evolution. Uh, so for our listeners, some of whom might not know what convergent evolution is, could you provide a brief description? Sure. Um, yeah, so convergence really is something dear to my heart. Yeah, just think about all the different creatures in nature that emit light. So there are fireflies, there are crustaceans in the ocean, um, there's even squid that have their own uh, biological light emission going on. And um, obviously, um, these organisms are really distantly related. Um, and just by the fact that these organisms are so distantly related, you already know that um, the evolution of bioluminescence happened independently and repeatedly. And um, in the case of bioluminescence, it happened, um, as far as we know, more than 40, 50, even 60 times independently. So you have all of these molecular systems um, that are somewhat different um, to each other, but they have the same function. 
So um, this is really how I um, look at convergence. So you have a function that is of interest and then you have different molecular systems, let's call it, that can uh, implement these functions. So this is a kind of systems level view on what convergent evolution is. And then there are other well-known examples like the evolution of the eye is convergent, even nervous systems um, emerge convergently. Mm -hmm. So it's just fascinating to consider the fact that um, these highly complex evolutionary traits mm -hmm. um, yeah, came together again and again, not only on a morphological level, but down to single molecules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what do you think that tells us about the complexity of life, especially extrapolating to astrobiology and looking for life on other planets? Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, diving into this. So, I mean, um, you could really go all philosophical here uh, and talk about the very fabric of nature and reality, but uh, I, I want to go so far. Just uh, let me put it uh, this way: so there are different um, schools in evolutionary biology. And essentially, it boils down to the convergence versus contingency debate. So um, there's one school that says, okay, it's all random. And um, um, essentially, life on other planets would look differently. But then the convergence guys say, okay, there are these deep systemic uh, structures to the way that life is actually organized and uh, emerges. This is why life on Europa, for example, so the moon of um, Jupiter, so life would be uh, pretty similar. Um, thinking about the fact that it might also originate at hydrothermal vents down somewhere in the abyssal ocean of Europa. It might even be bioluminescence. So there was uh, uh, something that I worked upon in my bachelor and master uh, thesis and actually also presented at a couple of um, high-level conferences. Yeah, just this hypothesis that um, when there's life on Europa, that it will have one trait, um, bio, it will, it's, it's going to be probably bioluminescent, and this would also be a way for a robotic probe to actually um, detect signatures of life on Europa. So um, yeah, I mean, um, this is uh, this is my take on on convergence. I'm I, I'm I'm more really um, going in the direction of these deep systemic um, constraints that mm -hmm. um, life has for some reason, mm -hmm. um, and it's fascinating to 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 explore these constraints and mm -hmm. and see how um, yeah living systems come together. Mm -hmm. That sounds very very interesting. Um, for me personally, I think it's uh, it's a bit more hopeful to think about finding alien life and then finding similarities uh, right. with alien life. If it's something out of the ordinary that we don't normally see, that is amazing. But if it's something that's very similar as well, I think in a different type of way, it's just as cool. Moving on to Mimotype uh, in general. So how did you come up with the idea mm -hmm. of Mimotype? I'm sure it has to do with your work in converted evolution and bioluminescence. Um, but was there an aha sort of moment where you realized, oh, I can... I can take, make this to a product that can be a startup. Yeah, so um, that happened two or three years ago. I was just brainstorming with a friend and we were actually thinking about um, a business case in vertical farming. And from vertical farming, we um, then looked at OLED. And this is when I started just to, to really familiarize myself with OLED. I had heard about it before, but I wanted to know more. And it, I just... Um, I just saw the similarity between the kind of light that, a, um, that OLED emits with the type of light that I studied um, yeah, in my evolutionary studies. So just the light quality was somewhat similar. And this is when I um, started to then really dive deep into the molecular structures of um, these light emitting molecules. 
and I saw similarities to the molecules that I had been studying um, yeah, using genomics and um, using DNA sequencing. And um, I had been following this, um, the whole biomanufacturing paradigm, looking at major US companies that have been doing yeah, really ambitious biosynthetic projects um, for years. Um, and then I had the idea, okay, so which pathways um, are known? Um, which molecules can be produced? And um, if we can produce them using a, a microbial host, uh, can we then um, take these molecules out of the bioreactor and put them into OLEDs? And uh, it was all a pretty far-fetched, crazy idea. Um, but um, I, I then applied to, to an um, accelerator program here in Berlin, Reactor Berlin back then, and I got in, although I didn't have uh, anything to show at that point. And um, yeah, I just further sketched out all of the theoretical aspects and then initiated contact with um, Professor Liz Cartoville here at um, the Humboldt University, ordered uh, the first um, 200 milligrams of a chemically produced um, analog of the material that I'm interested in. So that was already pretty expensive, but I didn't have the resources to ramp up a biosynthesis um, campaign. Yeah, and it worked. So um, it took um, six months to produce the first lab-scale OLED. But from there, then it was really clear that um, also looking at some other um, publications and um, research programs that had been done in, uh, in this area, uh, it became clear to me that you can really put a dedicated effort on using bio-inspired uh, molecular structures um, and put them into OLED. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what would be the advantages of making or of sourcing our materials um, in a reactor, uh, let's say, rather than just a, from a chemical synthesis? Yeah, so um, the current generation of um, OLED emitters contains um, scars and toxic heavy metals, rare earths. So um, that, this is just a matter of um, price. So OLED emitters are really expensive. One gram is between uh, 1,000 to 5,000 euros. It's also um, complicated to synthesize these uh, emitters in a multi-step organic uh, synthesis reaction. So you have uh, losses uh, along the way during each synthesis step. And you also um, use um, lots of water and heat uh, for this uh, chemical process in the chemical factory. Yeah, and toxic solvents, um, so not good. And uh, the idea now is to substitute chemical factories with mm -hmm. um, bio-manufacturing plants, um, bioreactors, fermenters, uh, where you have um, the batch-wise um, production, um, let's say in the kilogram range of um, these emitter uh, molecules that we're interested in. Okay. And solving all of these um, issues that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to dwell on Mimotypes technology a bit more, A, what is the roadmap for the company in terms of when do you foresee production and what does success for you look like? Uh, how, at what point would you consider Mimotype to be a successful startup? Um, <laughs> So I already consider it a successful startup. So we made it uh, up uh, from the ground. Uh, so that's already um, the biggest milestone. Yeah, but for us, it's easy. So either um, we can observe light emission or not. And this is really where we put our molecules uh, to the test. And um, yeah, the idea is to uh, ramp up the bio pipeline. So we are already producing um, our target molecules in the uh, milligram range. Uh, this is not enough. So we need to scale up to uh, 100 gram um, yields within the next 12 to, to 18 months mm -hmm. to then start selling 100 milligram test batches to select uh, test customers. Yeah, and um, biology is messy. 
or we have encountered um, yeah, a couple of problems along the way, the purification of the, um, of the peptides out of the protein scaffold, um, that's difficult. Yeah, also the minute amounts that we produce, um, so it's hard to, to work with this and then use these samples in the OLED prototyping. Um, so we have to really um, de develop these um, R&D tracks in parallel. Mm -hmm. On the one side, the OLED prototyping, and on the other side, the biosynthesis scheme. And within the next 12 months, they are going to merge, and then we have enough material to uh, actually put bio-derived emitters into um, our OLED stacks. What do you think the future of bio-inspired electronics is? Uh, what do you think the future holds? Okay, so um, I definitely think that um, organic electronics is going to shape the way that we that we experience the, the world in the future um, for various reasons, um, various products. I mean, we are already interacting um, with screens a lot, so we have to optimize that with flexible um, printed electronics. Um, so just uh, merge these displays into our environment so um, that we really have a, yeah, superior way of, um, of working in the digital uh, realm than, than we do now. Um, um, and it's going to be, or these types of technologies are going to be everywhere in, in automotive, aerospace, medicine technology. So we are especially interested in wearable technology and also looking at a couple of um, textile use cases, um, ambient lighting um, as well. So um, light is a human technology um, a factor shaping civilization for thousands of years. So um, this is why we really need uh, new materials that are ecologically seamless to, to, to uh, maintain a healthy relationship um, with, um, with the electronics that we are going to use mm -hmm. within the next 50 years, 100 years. Do you have any advice for startup founders, especially when you're working on a groundbreaking technology such as yours? Uh, I'm sure you must face a lot of opposition to your ideas at times. Do you have a personal philosophy to share with us that might help other startup founders also get through times like these? So I will uh, tie it back to, um, to, to what I mentioned in the very beginning, the, this um, really interesting phenomenon of convergent evolution. So if you have a, a technology solution that involves convergence in some way, shape or form, for example, you have multiple ways of um, coming up with a solution, then that, that, that's a good thing. So that's a good thing for us because we can try a lot of different molecular systems. One doesn't work, another one works. And we know that we have this huge um, variety of different systems to choose from. And this is why um, I was um, convinced from the very beginning um, that we can um, go through with this. Mm -hmm. So um, I saw this um, attractor in the hyperspace of technological complexity, so to speak, and um, I never lost sight of it. And when a founder is actually really convinced that he has identified mm -hmm. the technological attractor, uh, then he should do everything to um, yeah, get closer to this attractor and um, not lose sight of it. And uh, at one point, the technology attractor is kind of creating a force field where then stuff just happens. Mm -hmm. Just um, with us, for example, so we have some really interesting new collaborations going on. And um, yes, um, people are just fascinated by the idea of um, biological life and mm -hmm. using these molecules for, for an industrial scale use case. But 
you're also right then when uh, we actually enter into negotiations and mm -hmm. uh, talking uh, talking money with uh, investors then um, it's all too experimental and the current uh, performance is not uh, really um, comparable with the um, yeah, highly performant um, emitters that have mm -hmm. been around for 20 years yeah so you you need to be really really um, convinced and um, adamant about your use case about your vision um, and for me it's um, yeah for me it's really this almost Promethean vision of uh, of blue light it's just uh, magic and um, there are so many systems in nature that, that that can actually produce blue light so this is why um, yeah um, just following this signal uh, was the right way and we did so and um, we got our first pre-seed um, financing round in November, and we're topping that up right now. And um, yeah, now it's just fascinating to see how the company develops, um, how our staff scientists are working in the lab, creating OLEDs, how um, the bio experiments are coming together. And yeah, so um, as I said, uh, things are converging, and um, I'm really um, yeah uh, happy and grateful for the state of things right now. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time, Claudio. We at Enam really wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors. And yeah, hope to be working with Pneumotype uh, in the future as well. Thank you. So Enam is a great organization. Uh, you guys have helped us out a lot and keep up the good work. Thank you so much.